0: Hey, it's Brent from Burgundy Blog. It is Thursday night. Uh, the Redskins just lost again to the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota on Thursday night football by a final score of 19-9. to And although the Redskins kept it close, in fact it was tied at the half, I think it's fair to say that this game felt like it was not even quite as close as the final score considering the Vikings had about 37 penalties for 450 yards on offense. Kirk certainly did not exactly go off. In fact, he didn't throw for a touchdown, and he did not eclipse 300 yards passing, but he did get his revenge. And I finally got my wish to see Haskins play again, but he only threw five passes, and he looked terrible. It's week eight in the NFL season, and the Redskins are one and seven. I think the subtitle of this podcast should be Somebody Put Me Out of My Misery. Alright, well that definitely sucked, but we of course have grown quite used to that. I think tonight, before I even really get much into the nitty gritty of this game, uh, especially since breaking down games with the season in its current condition, is feeling more and more futile by the week. I want to start off with a few notes and points from this week leading up to the game. A couple things in the news and a couple feelings and opinions that I was having coming into tonight. First, if you follow me on Twitter, at BurgundyBlog, Or if you've listened to any of these podcasts previously, you know that I've been lobbying hard and hoping for Dwayne Haskins to get some playing time. More specifically, I have felt strongly that they should have named him the starter. I have felt this and said this and tweeted this while concurrently knowing and acknowledging that everyone on the offensive side of the Redskins coaching staff has continued to feel and certainly still feels that he's very raw and far, far, far from a finished product. The word ready has been thrown around very casually with regard to Haskins in recent weeks on Twitter and on the radio and in the greater Redskins conversation supposedly the Redskins coaches have been holding him back holding him out because he's not quote ready and as of a couple of weeks ago i think i've just grown to really object the concept of readiness for this specific individual on this specific team they're floating through a meaningless season in which each game now the result of each game has no meaning they're not going to make the playoffs and they are going to blow out the coaching staff Any remaining wins on this schedule will be meaningless in my opinion. The only culture carryover from this year to next will be in the front office. And I assure you that winning a couple more games this season ain't gonna change that. A third or more of the players on the current active roster will be gone. And the ones that will remain, I feel confident have enough talent and self-respect to be completely unaffected come next August or September by a bad record in this bad season marred by... Injury again, by coaching change, and by irrelevance as usual. So in the context of a season in which wins and losses have already been rendered almost completely meaningless, and in the further context that the current starter coming into tonight, Case Keenum, had looked totally awful for several games in a row, had led the offense to six points, nay, I'm sorry, not six points, those six points occurred in the first half tonight, had led the offense coming into this game to zero points in the preceding five quarters. And also, him being a guy that will not have a role on the team for next year. With those things in mind, I've grown to really object to the concept of Dwayne Haskins being ready, or the significance of that label for him right now. I realize he started only 14 games in college, but he started and won some huge ones. He had all summer and all preseason to practice with these coaches. He's had almost two months worth of regular season to see how things go in regulation games. And it has bothered me so, so much to think, That even still, in all that context, he might not be ready enough to play for this team right now. If he has two legs to walk and a mouth to speak and an arm to throw, he is ready to play for these current Redskins. Because the other options are zeros. So, when it came out a couple of days ago via J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, through his direct interview with Bill Callahan, that not only was Dwayne not going to be prepared to start, today, but at that time, it also was not in the plans for him to be prepared to start 10 days from now in Buffalo. And when it was further implied that it was no guarantee at all that even after the subsequent buy, he might be strongly considered to be the starter, it drove me absolutely crazy. Because that to me represented clear evidence that the key decision makers, whether they be Callahan, Allen, Snyder, or some combination thereof, were still more focused on winning games this year than next year and in so, and, and years to come after that. And although maybe we can disagree as fans about the rightness of certain micro-decisions for roster management and play calling, etc. right now, with regard to the prioritization of next year's wins over this year's, but if, philosophically right now, the key decision makers in this organization still feel that it is more important to win one game now than two games next year, it's just outrageous professional negligence. To have not turned the page at this point, in fact weeks ago, but certainly by this point, would just be such an insult to my senses of reason and logic. Such an infantile pursuit of short term gratification. It just made me want to scream. Now, I realize, okay, this, this got brought up a lot this past week. It was a short week. There were, there were few days, relatively few days for the quarterback, any quarterback to prep for the Vikings and, and, and a good defense on the road. I get it. But so what? So what? For the aforementioned reasons, get him, get him as ready as you can in those few days and get him in there and throw him out there and get him on the field and start getting in the experience. Next week, a week and a half, and a uh, a week and a half from now, Buffalo at Buffalo. Yes, good defense, tough ask, big responsibility. But so what? Get him ready. Get him in there. What's the rush? You might ask. Why do I feel so strongly that he should he should have been given the opportunity to play tonight and and in the next game prior to the bye? Why not just like let him get the whole two weeks of time through the bye to prepare for a soft landing at home against the Jets on November seventeenth? Here's the main reason why. Every, th- every throw that he was in line to make, and every throw that ultimately he did make tonight in the second half after coming in to relieve Haskins, sorry, to relieve Keenum following his concussion, and every throw he stands to make next week in Buffalo, and every movement in the pocket, and every audible at the line, and every check, and every conversation through the headset with the coach, and every illegal formation, and every two-minute drill, and every touchdown and every interception, would be another thing for him and for the coaches to evaluate during the bye, in that gift of extra preparation time. All of those new experiences for him would be things that he could review and that he could critique himself and be critiqued on by the coaches over that two-week period rather than just guessing at what he may or may not have trouble with in his first full game as a starter in the middle of November. I wanted them to get him in there, get some things on film, get his feet wet or a little wetter, and start figuring it out. As we saw against the Giants, and as we ultimately did see tonight, running scout team and looking over the other guy's shoulders has not sufficiently accelerated his learning. Get him going, let him suck, let him see that he sucks, and especially if you're worried that some of this delay in his development might be from immaturity or overconfidence or insufficient urgency, especially if those are your concerns, then how could you not want to get him in there and make him get his butt beat for a few quarters on film? So that he can see it and feel it and hate it and know it. That's what I wanted. The Redskins do not agree with me. Instead, the Redskins had a different plan, which is not intuitive to me and frankly doesn't make a ton of sense. They have stuck to the narrative or to the party line that he's not ready yet. And you know what? So be it. Fine. I explained my disdain for that particular word in this situation, but I I get what they're saying. I guess, or at least I can grasp the concept of that overall attitude, if they truly feel that he doesn't know enough yet or hasn't had enough practice yet at the NFL level to literally function in an offense, like maybe like it would just be a total joke with him trying to run it, like they couldn't call plays, they couldn't break the huddle, it would be a disaster, just a complete circus, and they would be humiliated nationally. Here's what doesn't make sense to me. If that was true, then sure, you're right, he shouldn't be playing. But guess what else? If that was true, he shouldn't be active either. He shouldn't be your backup. You've got a healthy, now healthy Colt McCoy. longtime NFL veteran. Highly respected by the outgoing coach. If the concern was that Haskins was so unready that he couldn't run your offense, then he should have been inactive instead of Colt McCoy. Now, just to clarify here, because I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm, I'm not saying he should have been inactive. I didn't want him to be inactive. Of course not. What I'm saying is if he was even functional enough to be your backup, Then he's functional enough to be your starter in a game, the outcome of which does not matter. He's either viable to be in uniform and on the field or he's not. And if he is, then start him. Because you know what happens if you do that? Then you can give him all the starter's reps all week. Yes, I know it was a short week and they only maybe had like one real practice. But you could get him all the focus, all the attention, all the reps All the walkthrough reps. You could build your game plan around him instead of around Case Keenum's shitty arm. If you were going to have him up, then have him in. And then you can build and plan everything around it all week. That way, he'll actually get some NFL experience in game situations in which he is not already down by seven points or more, which he still cannot say that he has ever felt. The Redskins have, have been so careful to protect him. And... So careful not to be reckless in his transition, doing it slowly, doing it the right way. They've gone so out of their way to make sure he's ready that in his now two career appearances, both have come with him not having a week's or even a few days worth of primary starter reps and both have come with him entering down more than two scores. Sorry, at least two scores. And yeah, he's looked bad, which we'll get to, but we we expected him to look bad. Or at least it's okay that he looks kind of bad. It's just that this messy, sloppy, directionless plan for him coordinated now over the course of two apparently warring coach, coaching regimes with very little continuity in, in the approach to his development as far as I can tell. And in his first two experiences, the deck has been basically stacked completely against him. I mean, damn. It just feels like at every step along the way, they're following the textbook chapter on how not to draft and develop a quarterback. I also wanted to mention a thought that was with me this week leading up to the game about Bill Callahan and more broadly the way the Redskins as an organization communicate to the public. Callahan's pressers lately, these little like midweek post-practice pressers have become hilarious for his incredibly long and detailed answers about things that he shouldn't even be explaining. Like mainly the daily practice schedule. I mean, the, the itinerary of every practice down to the minute. He, he's been given, I mean, multiple times now, he's given such excessively detailed recaps of, of practice sessions that it makes him seem either kooky or just preoccupied with uh, demonstrating his intelligence and organization mainly in juxtaposition to his predecessor. He's like on the verge of telling us what stretches they did and which plays they ran and what entrees were offered in the cafeteria. And it just made me think about how, like, Jay Gruden often said things that he shouldn't have. He was not good at hiding his emotions. He was a terrible liar. But he was overall a pretty good communicator to the public, I think. He was funny and down-to-earth. And even though I disagreed with many of his decisions about the team and with what I believed to be his coaching style, I would say that more often than not, He kind of just seemed competent when he was doing his public coachly duties. Well, he's gone now. I would say that Callahan, who has really not appreciably or obviously improved the team, of course, he did coach them to their one and only win against just a putrid Dolphins team. And I guess you could argue that the effort by the players has been at least fine in these last two games, even though there were losses. But he really hasn't turned the Redskins around. And in my opinion, the bulk of his pressers have become just kind of silly, these long-winded Unnecessarily detailed answers, giving me no increased confidence in his leadership. And above Callahan, we know that Dan Snyder never talks, Bruce Allen dodges every question and lies at every pos- possible chance, and Doug Williams, the designated front man, has a hard time not putting his foot in his mouth. By the way, I did like the Doug Williams segment prior to tonight's game on the Fox broadcast where they honored his career and accomplishments. It was nice to uh, briefly uh, not think of him as a stooge, which unfortunately is my current angle on him, even though previously he was a hero. So the Redskins now, especially with Jay gone, have absolutely no one who can do a good job of communicating their direction, their plan, their vision to the fans and to the media. And Jay was not brilliant at it, but he was certainly the best they had. So in my view they just really have no remaining smart talkers. And that sounds like a pretty bad recipe for a team which already has probably the the worst and lowest public image in the league okay one last thing from before the game actually that i found amusing ian rapidport went on twitter and did his usual thing where he tries to drop little you know newsy nuggets about a team before they play in prime time and his news about the redskins this evening included the facts that they may be strongly considering bruce uh sorry bill callahan um as permanent head coach next year which is obviously incredibly moronic but whatever uh, he said they may also um, consider Kevin O'Connell, but the part that got me was when he let us know that the Redskins will be choosing not to employ a search firm. A search firm. I'm sorry, I was rolling on the floor. Can you imagine that? The Redskins using a search firm to help them find their next head coach? Um, Hey, Dan and Bruce, can can you clue us in a little bit? Like, What exactly are you looking for in a candidate? Who should we help you find? Uh, well, search firm, the number one thing we're really hoping to get out of our next head coach is that he be a punching bag and really be able to constantly absorb flack for our terrible decisions, our scarce availability, and our total lack of accountability. Also, he needs to um, have either been a previous employee of the Redskins or have worked with Bruce in Tampa, or he could be Joe Gibbs if you want to go that route. Please also make sure he has no spine and that he has a major character flaw that we can exploit when we try to fire him with cause. That's about it. Do you think you could round up a good pool of candidates from what we've given you? Thanks. Okay, I suppose I should uh, talk about this game a little bit. So I'm going to do this in two parts. First the non-Haskins stuff, and then the Haskins stuff. Here's like maybe, hopefully, 90 seconds worth of discussion of yet another bad, boring game. The Vikings came out, like, ready to pounce, and Cousins threw that nice long pass to Diggs, but of course he fumbled. I will acknowledge what was credited to Deron Payne and Cole Holcomb on the broadcast at the time, which is that that was really very good hustle on that play to uh, track down Diggs so far downfield and cause the fumble. That was impressive, and it did suggest that at least at that incredibly early juncture in the game, the team was prepared to play hard. After that, the main thing that stuck out to me about the first quarter is that Case Keenum, even though he was completing most of his passes early on, just continued to have abysmal ball security. He does not respect the football. He had a fumble that was lost. He had another fumble that was not lost. And he threw another short pass right around that time that should have been intercepted and possibly could have been returned for a touchdown. I tweeted, and I feel that he has this, this, this sort of ball insecurity that would get him like automatically benched on almost any other team. Of course, since the Redskins' coaching staff hates Dwayne Haskins so much, that wasn't a good enough reason for them tonight. They had to wait until Keenum got a concussion. The Redskins did have a pretty nice long drive towards the end of the first quarter, which got them down inside the five, but they had to settle for a field goal after Keenum threw a terrible pass in the end zone and then oddly refused to run in what looked like it probably could have been a touchdown for him on a scramble. He just seems kind of clueless in the red zone. Overall, the Redskins' offense moved the ball pretty well, and it seemed like O'Connell was doing a pretty good job with play calling there. I feel like uh, Keenum was, at least between the 20s, getting them on schedule in a few chunks. He just wasn't really making any great throws. He was usually finding McLaurin wide open or somebody else that had been schemed open. It was in the second quarter that I started thinking about how bad Morgan Moses was looking. I was thinking about how bad Fabian Moreau was looking. He was just getting beaten by, by anyone he was on. I'd say he's declared to us by now that he can't play slot or outside perimeter uh, corner. And so I'm not really sure what his future is. He's, he's starting to definitely look like a bad pick. The Vikings had a good drive in the second quarter that ended down near the goal line after uh, Ionidas and John Allen both had really nice sacks. So that was a good look for the Redskins' D. Ionidas, by the way, I think is the best defensive lineman on the Redskins right now. He's been kind of dominating for, for two games. And he does not have that first round pedigree. He does not have that Alabama gold star, and he has a pretty modest contract, but I think he's better right now than Payne and Allen. Then right before the half, the Vikings had another good drive. It was basically Kirk and Dalvin Cook just kind of eating up the Redskins defense, and they got into score before half, so I think I was wrong earlier. I said it was tied at half. That, of course, was not true. The Redskins were down a touchdown at half. So then we're coming back from half, and we get the surprise news that Haskins is in because Keenum is being evaluated for concussion. The Redskins field the opening kickoff of the second half, and Haskins helps them go three and out and doesn't really do anything. Later on, the Haskins-led offense did put together a field goal drive, mostly on the back of Adrian Peterson with a couple of good runs, but I thought Haskins on that drive did one nice thing and two bad things. The nice thing was a sweet little dart pass, kind of a sidearm thing. In fact, that one actually was also to Peterson. That immediately struck me as a throw. Granted, it was like all-arm but something I felt certain Keenum would not have been able to do. However, of course, he followed it up by taking a long sack. I think it was not really his fault, but Anthony Barr blitzed and came in completely unblocked. And then after that, Haskins took a timeout on third and 16, which you kind of hate to see, being that that is such a low-yield opportunity anyway. Then, of course, the next drive, or possibly the one after, was when he threw that just absolutely horrible pick, trying to hit McLaurin wide open, intermediate range threw it way too high, went off McLaurin's hands, got intercepted. That, for all intents and purposes, was really the end of the game. Outside of that, Haskins just really did, did not look good. He didn't. I got no problem saying that, even as somebody was calling for him to play. He kind of had nervous, happy feet. His pocket presence did not seem particularly good. In the fourth quarter, they had uh, they got called for an illegal formation on a play where it seemed like there was a lot of confusion, and I suspect that was partly his fault. So, yeah, a lot of that pre-snap procedural stuff He certainly does not have it mastered, but I absolutely do feel that he can only benefit from having been through it and having struggled with it and now knowing, hopefully, a little bit better than he did when he woke up this morning, what to do when it's third and extra long and you're in field goal range and the play clock's running out. Maybe he will know now how to call a different protection when he sees Anthony Barr lining up in the A-gap. He gained a little more exposure, a little more experience to the speed of the NFL game, which he clearly isn't used to because how could he be? He just wasn't great all around. But yeah, I'm glad he played. I'm really glad he played. I'm not happy Case Keenum got a concussion. I mean, I'm sorry about that. But Haskins will benefit from this experience. And we now have, you know, a little bit better frame of reference or baseline for for, for who he is and what he can do right now. And I mean, it's not great. It's, it's not a good baseline. We needed to know that. I wanted to know that as a fan. And I, I think the coaches and the, the, the front office executives need to see it. You saw it against the Giants, but but for him to have had you know a second rough half, I mean, again, it was not an ideal situation to prepare him for success. But for them to see him struggle in those tough circumstances, it's part of the file that you need to be building on him. It's the first page, the first page of the file on Peyton Manning wasn't good either, and Troy Aikman wasn't good, as he said tonight in the broadcast. Those guys turned that thing over a lot as rookies. It's okay, doesn't doesn't mean that he can't be a good player, but they need to be formulating an identity about him, for better or worse, and it needed to start, and I'm glad it started. I, of course, want Bill and Kevin to spend the next nine days preparing him to be the starter in Buffalo, too, and I'd like to see if he can make some baby steps, but knowing this team, and knowing that right now, Bruce and Dan, probably both thinking that if the Redskins can just rip off eight straight wins to finish the season, they could possibly slip into the playoffs as a wild card. They will probably go back to Case if he's healthy or Colt if Case is not. And then in my next podcast, I will just vomit all over my microphone. I think the whole Cousins Bowl or Kirk Cousins revenge game angle was a totally valid one. I mean, there was a lot of history and a lot of drama between those two parties. I mean, the Redskins organization and Kirk Cousins, obviously. We as fans were totally wrapped up in that for years. We're still not over it. We still don't agree on it. Fans constantly tear each other apart on social media about Kirk Cousins, even still, he's been gone for a year and a half. But that whole rematch or revenge angle was, I think, kind of blunted a little bit in that he had kind of an okay sort of nondescript game where he threw for 280-something, he did not have a touchdown pass, he did not have a turnover, he did take three sacks, and of course he did have that pretty terrible (laughs) fourth and inches sneak at the end that he failed to convert. I really doubt he cares too much about not having a huge day in terms of individual statistics against the Redskins, but I'm quite certain he's happy to have beat them. I mean, even happier than he would have been to beat somebody. Else. I want to finish with some thoughts I had stemming from a tweet that I put out today at uh, exactly 3 p.m., it looks like. The tweet said, At Kirk Cousins' 8 I've rooted for you before but never harder than tonight. We are counting on you to humiliate Bruce Allen. Please throw at least six touchdown passes and stomp Bruce's ego into the Minnesota dirt. And what I want to mention about that tweet is that it sure seems to have resonated with a portion of the fan base because that tweet got liked over a thousand times in the five hours before kickoff. That tweet by me, a Redskins blogger, dedicated, stupidly dedicated, to watching and researching and talking about this team. Followed, of course, by almost exclusively Redskins fans. That tweet, calling for the Redskins to lose, and for the team's president to be humiliated, got liked by over a thousand Redskins fans in five hours. Now, of course, that tweet drew a lot of negative replies, the usual stuff about, you're not a true fan, you're a fake fan, you're a four-letter word, I hate you, drink bleach, but really, actually, Not, not really a lot of those. I mean a few dozen, I guess. But uh, those indignant replies were far, far outnumbered by echoes of support and agreement. So if my constant weekly, in fact daily, even hourly, harsh criticism of this team is becoming tired or old for you, or redundant and maybe unnecessary, I'm sorry. Honestly, I am sorry and maybe I should stop. I'm going to think this week about if I should Cut back or or adjust my tone a little, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how because I want to be true to to the reality of the situation, which is just unrelenting failure. But I also don't feel the need to just be a broken record. Anyway, if my criticisms are wearing thin, I'm sorry. But I, I want you guys, you listeners, you fans to know if you're like me, you're not alone. And you are, you are, a lot of you are like me, and you definitely are not alone. We are in a sad, sad state of affairs as Redskins fans collectively right now. Many, many of us truly, actually, literally dislike or even hate the Redskins right now. This is not a normal thing in the NFL. I mean, there's lots of disenchanted, angry, upset fans across the league. Of course, many teams are perennial losers, but I do not think it is typical for a franchise to have so alienated its fans that a huge number of them actually, on a weekly basis, wish for losses and grave humiliation. But I am there. And I know that as of this recording, at least 1,169 of you are also there with me. It's obviously okay to disagree with me, but I want to empower you to hate, truly hate, because they've earned it. The Redskins do not represent what I want and what I admire in sport. So until they they change fundamentally, or until I can finally quit them, I will be forced to kill them for everything that deserves it.